Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events around the world in golf. The third and final major of 2020 is here. We preview this week's Masters Tournament and hear from Wayne Radar Riley. Hi guys, Justin Rose here and welcome to the Golf Monthly Clubhouse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse, brought to you by our friends at Titleist, the number one ball in golf. For more, visit titleist.co.uk. Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. My name is Tom Clark and this week I am joined by Elliot Heath. Hi Elliot. Hello Tom. And we're also very lucky to be joined by Nick Bonfield as well. Hello Nick. Hello, Klaza. How are you? Thank you very much for that. That's, uh, that's very kind. I'd say that's overstating it a little bit, but thank you anyway. I, I, was, I was also being kind of sarcastic as well. Um, listeners, you'll be very happy to know that Nick is an Aston Villa fan and Elliot is an Arsenal fan. So they've had already had a big bickering match before we started recording the podcast. So we don't have to hear any more of that, which I'm sure you're very happy to, to understand. And also, Elliot, I haven't, I can't even talk to you about how you played at the weekend, can I? No, um, no. I think we just need to talk about professional golf this week. It's, uh, and obviously, yeah. we, we're in the middle of, of our second lockdown in England. Uh, golf is in Wales. I think you're back allowed to play today, so I hope you're you're getting out there and playing. So we're all a little bit depressed because we can't play any golf. But thankfully, there is a shining light on the horizon uh, starting this week on Thursday is finally the 2020 Masters, uh, which we're all desperate to see because it's been so long since we got to see those luscious green fairways at Augusta National. And of course, it was postponed from April and we've had to wait and wait and wait, but it's here now. Nick, are you excited for the Masters starting on Thursday? Yeah, very excited, excited, intrigued, you know, all the emotions. It's going to be, it's come at a great time, hasn't it? Like, lockdown is introduced and then we have this masters which for me is the best sporting weekend of the year so i absolutely can't wait and i can't wait to see how it plays out in november because obviously it's going to have a different look and feel too but yes i think that even though there aren't going to be fans and even though it's in a different part of the year the magic of the masters will still shine through and i fully expect it to be a very entertaining and dramatic tournament great stuff elliot you're desperate to see how Augusta's going to play, aren't you? Especially with the autumn conditions. Is it going to play a little bit longer? It's obviously going to look a little bit different. There won't be as many leaves on the trees and stuff like that. It's going to be great, isn't it? Oh, it's going to be absolutely beautiful. I can't wait. We're uh, we're quite lucky how we benefit from this, that we're going to see Augusta as we've never seen it before. The um, Masters social media accounts posted some pictures and it looks absolutely stunning. Uh, you think of all the pine straw below the trees. Well, this year it looks like there's going to be lots of leaves. Without the patrons, I don't know if, if they're going to be um, losing balls under the trees like we do here in the UK when the leaves are uh, on the ground. But yeah, I, I can't wait. It's going to be beautiful. I, I don't think the course is going to be playing too soft and slow because of the sub air. And I think the weather's going to be quite nice. And uh, yeah, well, what a great way to, to wrap up what has been a, a very difficult year for everybody. Absolutely. You say the weather's looking quite nice, but I'm just looking on my phone at the forecast now and it says, Tuesday, rain. Wednesday, lightning. Thursday, lightning. Friday, rain. Saturday, rain. Sunday, rain. Oh, wow. I, I checked last week and it looked like it was going to be quite warm, but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be very warm. warm. I mean, it's what, 22 to 27 degrees by the looks of things, but 
80% chance of rain on Thursday and 40% Friday to Sunday. So it could be quite very, very muggy and sticky, I think. Um, and it looks like there's potential for weather delays too. But let's not dwell on that too much because that could change. And let's just talk about the goal for now because we don't know how it's going to play out. But it doesn't look great from where I'm looking. Yeah, Nick, that's um, actually a good point. I've just looked at the weather myself. And last week when we were looking, it did look it looked pretty good. But it does look like there might be a bit of rain about. But I think the one thing about the weather that we've been worried about is how cool it's going to be, um, especially for a man we're going to chat about later, and obviously the former Tiger Woods, because he doesn't seem to play very well in uh, cool and wet conditions. But uh, having looking, looked at the weather, it now looks like it's going to be particularly warm, but actually there might be the odd bit of rain or thunder about. So um, hopefully there won't be any or too many um, disruptions in play, uh, but that's something to look out for. And you can keep up to date with lots of different things, such as what's the weather going to be like at Augusta, uh, at the Golf Monthly website. Um, and that is, of course, golf-monthly.co.uk. And, of course, our social media channels as well, at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram, and Golf Monthly Magazine on Facebook. We have lots and lots and lots of stuff going on there all through the week, so do check out all the bits and pieces. And just to look ahead at what we've got on the podcast today, Nick, who is, of course, on the podcast, he spoke to Wayne Radar-Riley, who uh, most of you will know as one of the analysts on Sky Sports and a former tour pro himself. He's also a Golf Monthly columnist who's uh, previewing the Masters as well. So we've got a bit of audio with those two chatting uh, a little bit later on in the podcast. But before we get to that, let's look back on last year, which was what it is, 18 months ago now, plus, when Tiger Woods won his 15th major. Nick, can you believe that actually happened still? I can, because in my opinion, he's the greatest player that's ever competed at the professional level and the greatest golfer of all time. But how it played out was so dramatic, wasn't it, with Molinari and Kepka finding water, then Woods playing into the, on the 12th and then Woods playing into the centre of the green and two-putting. And it was just an absolute clinic in how to manage your round and how to control your ball on the back nine at Augusta National. And those scenes on the 18th, they genuinely made my spine tingle and they will stay with me for a long time. When Woods tapped in that short putt and then gave it the double fist pump with his putter above his head, you could see the expression and the glee in his face. It was absolutely wonderful to witness and hopefully we get something similarly dramatic this time around. Now, now Elliot, you're a huge uh, Tiger Woods fan, aren't you? Uh, can you? Can you remember what you were doing on that Sunday? I know what you were doing. You're working for us, but uh, can you remember your thoughts and your feelings when Tiger, you know, secured that fifteenth major victory? <laughs> yeah, I was actually in tears when he won. I was in tears when he won the Tour Championship the year before as well, and uh, just having seen so many people doubt him and and people from Golf Monthly, people following Golf Monthly on social media around the golf world, just thought he was done. They thought the the new younger generation were longer than him they were more powerful they were better under pressure and yeah I think it was just amazing for him to to remind us all even his fans that he has still got it when his body's on when his mind's working correctly he is still the best golfer of his generation the way he can flight the ball the way he can putt it's just just joyous to watch him play like that and it's been sad to see him since because he hasn't really done much I know he won at the Zozo last year which was completely out of the blue but um yeah, at the time, you're thinking he's back up to number six in the world, I think. He's a genuine major contender again. And 
like with Tiger Woods, it's a roller coaster. You doubt him, and then you see him prove you wrong. And at the moment, we're doubting him. So, can he prove us wrong again? I don't know, but yeah, it's um, definitely one of the best tournaments I've watched as a golf fan, and I'll remember it for, for the rest of my life. So that's well, I, I love the way that you you were in tears. It's brilliant. I, that's why I asked you because I remember you saying that. <laughs> so, how, how do you think he's going to do this year? Let's 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 jump straight into that. So, Elliot, Elliot, what do you think? That, how do you think he's going to play? Is he going to be able to compete? I mean, he's got such a good record around there. He, he knows every blade of grass pretty much, doesn't he? Um, it's hard to discount him, even in when he's not really got in any form at the moment. Uh, yeah, I think it's just flipping a coin, basically. From what I've seen from this this year, his long game hasn't been good enough. His short game hasn't been good enough. He hasn't been holding enough putts. So you would have to say he probably doesn't have a chance. But then on the other hand, you've got to say he's Tiger Woods. He's had a couple of weeks off to prepare for this. So, uh, yeah, who knows what turns up. But um, it, it's not looking too good. I wouldn't class him amongst the favourites this year, personally. And, and Nick, what, what do you think? I know you're probably going to... I, I have a feeling I know which way you're going to fall on this, that you probably think that Tiger doesn't have a chance. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on his opportunities of having another green jacket this year? I mean, I'd put him in the bottom half in terms of favourites. I, I, I could name 30 to 40 players who I think have a far better chance than he does. Having said that, as Elliot just mentioned, he's the greatest goal forever, so you never know. But what struck me particularly recently is how poor his putting's been. He's missing so many putts from kind of four to 12 feet and by distance as well. His long game's not good enough. He doesn't hit it that far off the tee. He's got all sorts of body issues. He's in no form. I, I can't see it. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, there's, as Elliot said, there's about 19 different reasons why he shouldn't come anywhere near contending. And then on the other hand, you've got his Tiger Woods. So nothing would surprise you. But I would put him down the bottom half in terms of expecting a challenge from him. I, I just can't see it materialising at all. I, I love the way, Nick, whenever we have you on the podcast, you, uh, don't, you don't hold back on... Uh, you, you've just more or less called Tiger Woods a, a chopper there. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, I, I, he's an ungrateful. I completely am with you on that. But um, whether there's 40 players people who have a better chance of winning the Masters than him, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure about that. But um, I, I do get your point that he's not he's not in great form. But I'll be honest with you, I'm just looking at the odds for uh, the Masters at the moment. Where is Tiger Woods? I'm scrolling down, I'm scrolling down. Where is he? There, here he is. You can get him at 40 to 1 plus. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to put some money on Tiger Woods to win this week. <laughs> uh, why not? And also, I love cheering him on at Augusta. There's no one better. The Masters isn't the same without Tiger, is it? He's been there for so long now. You know, 20, what, 23 years since his first one? Is that right? 97? 97, record-breaking. Exactly. So, you know, it just doesn't feel right when he's not there. And every time he's there, he seems to do, seems to do pretty well. He's, he's, his record there is that app. He's just incredible. Um and you're right, he's not he's not hitting the ball that well. You know, he's not putting that well. But I'll tell you what, I still fancy him to do pretty decent. So um forty to one, I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna put some money on him, no doubt. So um and I, and I think we're just we're just we're just so happy that we're, you know, it's all a bit depressing at the moment. We're stuck at home and we can't go and play golf. But one thing which will brighten up my my week is um watching Tiger 
play Augusta. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to Thursday and it's starting. Um, yeah, just sorry, just to butt in, I think one thing that really helped him last year were the patrons. I remember, as we all do, Francesco Molinari was an absolute machine. And I, I genuinely think something that made him mess up on that back nine was the fact that, I don't know how many fans were on the site, 10, 20,000 people were all cheering for Tiger Woods. And he's not going to have that this year. So I think it's going to definitely play into his competitors and uh, take the pressure off of his opponents. Yeah, I think that is a very fair point. We've already seen this year with the two majors that have happened uh, with two first-time winners. I think the pressure hasn't quite been as great because there was no fans there. I think Morikawa has actually come out and said that when he won the PGA. He said he think he would have probably been under... He would have felt it a bit more uh, had there been patrons there or fans there. Um, it is going to be a bit weird playing Augusta without any fans. I, I can actually say I've played Augusta without any fans. <laughs> There have either of you to played? No, no. Okay. Oh, Nick. Nick's not very happy. Uh, but Nick, Nick, you have been to Augusta. Uh, you know, it is going to be, it's going to be odd, isn't it, without having anybody there? What's the, what's the, what's the thing that people always say when they go there, which is completely different to when they're looking at it on TV? Give, give some insight about actually wandering around the course. I think the thing that struck me the most was the undulations and how much more severe they are than they appear on television. The first hole, for example, on TV, it looks like it's you drive into a, a slight upslope short of that bunker. That slope is massive. It's very, very steep, and the, you get no roll off that, but you just don't see that on TV. The 10th appears very downhill, but you stand on that 10th tee, and it's like a ski slope. Um, but what always surprises me as well is that on TV, the 10th green looks really, really, really slopey, but actually in real life, it looks quite flat which is quite bizarre. Um, but I would say the undulations, it's much more marked and dramatic than it appears on television. And it makes a lot of the shots much more difficult. And you only really appreciate that when you're there. 18 is another example. It's steeply, steeply uphill. And it doesn't appear that way on the broadcast at all. So big hitters will continue to have an advantage at Augusta in, in well, this year and in the future, but especially given the November start date, I think. Yeah, that, I think you're, you're right. It's, the, the, it's so hit, you, just can't, you can't actually believe it when you're there. And uh, But actually, if you actually think about the course and where Amen Corner is and where a lot of the water is, it's obviously that is at the bottom of a hill. And if you actually imagine it, the clubhouse is at the top and the and the, and the water with all the creeks and stuff like that is at the bottom of that hill. Um, and it, it is great, but it's gonna be, it's going to feel a lot different. And I wonder if actually we're going to get a bit more of a feeling of the course on TV because there's not going to have any fans there. I know there's not many grandstands there anyway. Um, but I do wonder how they go- it's, it's going to look and feel watching it. It's, it's going to be strange, isn't it? Nick, go on. You what I think is quite interesting about Augusta is not, there aren't many scoreboards, are there, from memory? I think you've got a big one by the 11th green. You've got a big one behind the 7th green. And the players always say they know what's going on based on the scale of the roars and, you know, the volume of the roars. And they know they can, they're able to discern whether it's a birdie or an eagle or a double or something like that. So if you couple no roars from the crowd with limited scoreboards, I think it's actually going to be quite difficult for players in contention to know, you know, when to push the accelerator, to actually know where they stand in the tournament. I mean, you'd expect that to change this year and for there to be more information available to the players. But I still think it's going to be a challenge for the guys in contention knowing 
you know, when to be really aggressive, when to slightly be more conservative, etc. Because they aren't getting the knowledge and the rules from the crowds and there aren't that many scoreboards. So that will be quite interesting to monitor on the back nine on Sunday. Yeah, in that way, it might actually help Rory McIlroy because of, um, yeah, he, he, I wouldn't say he chokes or he gets nervous, but the lack of fans, the lack of pressure may help him just to take a step back, just play the golf course, birdie the par fives, just take his time, you know, stay in his own head. So I, I don't want to say I'm back in Rory, but I think that does set up quite nicely for him this week. I, I, having said I'm going to back Tiger Woods, I, I'm probably definitely going to back Rory as well because, um, again, he's someone I want to win. It's, it's easy to cheer someone on when, when, you, when you put money on them if you actually really want them to win as well. But I think I think that's a good point. And, you know, when, when you say that, he does he feel the pressure? He does feel the pressure. He doesn't choke. It's just a lot of pressure. When I was there in 2018, he was in the final group with Patrick Reed, and he hit his first tee shot off the planet. He went so far right. He looked like he nearly missed the ball. He was he was very, very nervous. He understands the magnitude if he wins Augusta because he has the Grand Slam and, and everything like that. So maybe it will take a little bit of pressure off him and that would be great because that means he probably will play a bit better uh, and maybe have a chance to get the job done. So we've mentioned Rory a little bit there. We've mentioned Tiger. I Just one person I want to just quickly chat on before we probably move on to listening to Nick talking to Radar is Francesco Molinari. So Francesco Molinari was leading for a lot of the tournament last year, was leading in the final round as well, and obviously he played Tiger before he fell away. He's obviously not actually played that much golf this year at all. He's moved to California, but suddenly, at the weekend just gone, he seemed to pick up a little bit of form going into it. Is Molinari someone that we think has the game again to go out and lead the Masters on Sunday? Nick, what do you think of his chances? I think he's got a small chance, but a chance nonetheless. And having scanned the odds before this podcast, he's someone that's going to get some some of my money. I think I saw him at 125 to 1. A guy who... Last year was obviously he's been he's been tigered since and has really struggled. But we, as you mentioned there, he's had some big life changes too. But this was a man that didn't miss from eight eight feet for about three and a half rounds. His putting on those greens is exceptional. Um, his obviously tee to green game, especially off the tee, is is remarkable too. Um, he's long enough to compete. He's you know, got the temperament and 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 the and the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The kind of heritage as a major champion. And at those odds, I think he's very very appealing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have kind of forgotten about how good Francesco Molinari was at playing golf. Uh, you think about how well he did in winning the Open, how well he played at the Ryder Cup. He was he was a real machine, wasn't he, Elliot? Yeah, he was basically the best player in the world in 2018. I think Brooks Koepka got the nod because he won two majors that year, but he won on the PGA Tour, he won the BMW PGA, he won the Open, he went 5-5 five and five at the Ryder Cup. And then, yeah, he, he did basically get tigered last year, but I think that was because of the fans and perhaps the moment got a little bit too much for him. But yeah, he, he's very, fairly fresh. He had, He's only played twice since February. He's completely changed his life moving to California uh, he's got a new caddy on the bag. I think he's working with Fooch now. So, yeah, if he can get himself back to where he was, which I think he definitely can, he's shown how mentally strong he is with the work he did with Dave Allred. 
so yeah, he played well last week, so I think he is fresh, so there's every chance. But uh, as we know with Rory in 2011, when bad things happen at Augusta, it's sometimes difficult to shrug them off and play well again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's happened before, hasn't it? You, know, you think you think of Jordan Spieth, you know, he was he's winning, he was leading, he was doing so well at Augusta, he was leading by how many shots it was, five, six, and then had that water trouble, which led to Danny Willett winning. And he's never quite been the same at Augusta since, although he's had the old good round, of course. So uh, um, it definitely, I think, that he's in there mentally somewhere. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Let's listen to someone else. Let's have another voice involved in the podcast. Although Nick's voice will also appear in this. Nick, you spoke to Wayne Riley really recently, well, just a couple of days ago about Augusta. So we're going to listen to about 20 minutes of audio between Nick and Radar as they look ahead to the 2020 Masters. Delighted to say that we are joined by Wayne Riley, Wayne Radar Riley, to discuss the upcoming Masters and give it a bit of a preview. Uh, thanks for joining us, Radar. How are you getting on? Good, Nick. Pleasure. Very good. Loving being locked down. Marvellous. Yeah. How are you filling your time in this in this odd period? Oh, I just walk a lot and, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of things to keep me occupied. I'm on the phone a lot to Australia's friends, and but I can't really go back there either because I can, but I don't want to be locked in a hotel room for two weeks uh, before I, I come out, and then you've only got three weeks at home before I have to go back to work at Abu Dhabi. So, you know, I'll be staying in the UK, which is absolutely fine. Good stuff. Well, glad you got stuff to fill your time. Um, I'm sure your Australian mates are having a good time over there, given that they're subject to kind of no restrictions anymore. And don't they let me know it? <laughs> I can quite imagine. But the thing is, we have something very special to look forward to, which is the Masters taking place in November this year. What is your excitement level for the Masters, the, the final major of the year? Well, to be perfectly honest with you, a lot of people won't sort of um, probably believe this, but I've never been there. And the thing is, um, when I played back in the day, you know, the best I got to is around 60 in the world. Usually 60 in the world right now, you would go to the Masters. This year, I was going to the Masters to broadcast the Sky. And um, with all this COVID-19-related stuff, I'm not going this year. And they're doing it in the – well, you know, people know we don't go, but um, it, it, it's basically you can't go because they're not letting anyone in. So it's just like wherever you can um, – you can broadcast it from. So no longer required because my job is an on-course commentator and they don't let on-course commentators go to Augusta. You can't walk the fairways, which a lot of people won't understand. But if you all think about it now, when you watch the Masters, you will see no one on the fairways at all, not even a scoreboard holder. So um, I, I was going to have to do my commentary from outside the rope. So uh, it's a shame, but next year, look, we haven't got long, Nick, to wait um, until the next one, which is April. The guy who wins this green jacket, he's only going to put one sleeve on and he won't have time to put the other sleeve on. Yeah, he probably wins the green jacket, gets locked down for a couple of months and then has to give it back again. Exactly. <laughs> Still, though, it's, I mean, it's hugely exciting, isn't it, for the week before the Masters for all golf fans. Um, it's just sitting back, watching, opening a beer and just seeing beautiful Augusta. doesn't get much better than that. No, and, and, and what it really is, is traditionally, and it'll always be, the Masters will never move their April spot this year without a force to. Uh, but I don't think it'll ever happen again. I think we'll be out of all this by April. Um, let's hope. But um, God willing, we, 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 we look at it in April and it's the start, especially in the UK here, 
uh, April, you know, March and April, you start to see the spring, springing, springing, and, you know, leaves are coming out and everyone can go and play golf. And the Masters just whets the appetite for the summer to come. So we're all looking forward to this Masters. It's at a different time of year. Um, in November, it's going to be cold and, 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 and all that sort of stuff back here, but we're going to – I'm sure Sky and people who are yourself who listen to this sort of stuff, there's going to be so much um, interest in the Masters because – a weather factor is massive because no one can go out and walk in the parks because it's, it's cold and it's wet, it's windy. So um, the Masters is going to get a great audience this side, this side of the pond. How do you expect it to look and play Augusta National in November? I expect um, that over there, because I'm usually in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is an hour and a half, two hours drive from Augusta, uh, in in mid September for the tour champs, and that's in Atlanta. The weather's the same, and it's always just sort of grass, and it doesn't go dormant that time of the year. I imagine with the cooler weather now in November, the the the, the fairways are brown-ish, but what they also have to do there is overseed them with rye, and um, we will get that greenish tinge um, on the fairways. I. I, I Maybe I'm wrong, but with greens that can be quite cold with not as much growth, they could be firmer. Now, I'm sure they have got the um, the green, what's the... The, 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 the sub-air. Sub-air. I'm sure Augusta has sub-air. So they can play with that um, a lot to see... Um, how they want the, the, uh, to, uh, to be like they usually are in April. But that's going to be interesting. I, I imagine these greens with not as much growth in November, they could be faster than in April. Well, that's quite a daunting proposition for the people in the field, isn't it? Um, yeah, they, could be they could be. Maybe I'm wrong, unless they shove that sub air on and zap. If they zap moisture out of them, they're only going to get firmer. So... Mm. It's going to be very interesting. You want to pick someone who can seriously putt. Okay. And you would imagine that, that length comes into it more as well with the softer fairways and the fact that the air is probably going to be slightly heavier. Yep. The ball's not going to be going as far. It's not going to be running as far. Um, it's going to be interesting November. Are we going to go to Augusta? And dare I say that the old green jackets of Augusta National, are they going to play preferred lies? Whoa, I know, I know, I know. But what about them getting mud balls? It's hard enough playing around those wind tunnels of Augusta with the wind swirling all over the place like Wentworth without mud balls. Now, you know, we can't, if we get a little bit of rain in November, it doesn't matter what they do. They haven't got sub air under the fairways. We're talking, we're talking about playing the Masters in November in the winter. Mm. I'm sure Augusta will have something up its sleeve. It's hard, to imagine, it's hard to imagine preferred lies at Augusta National, isn't it? But you never know. It might be necessary. Yeah. Well, let's take it back a little bit and let's talk about some of your favourite memories of Augusta. I imagine as, as an Australian, it's been quite painful, but also there have been occasions where, you know, they've got you up off the sofa in celebration. Adam Scott, most, most notably. Watched a lot. Watched a lot, yeah. Back in the day, like over here, we used to watch it on the BBC. Um, even in Australia, we all, all of us, we only got the back nine, uh, and that's what what, what it was. Um, yeah, my, my memories um, 
Jack Newton losing, Australia, Jack Newton losing to Seve, Seve Chippity on the 18th hole to win one of his Masters, one of his two Masters. Um, but my great memories, 1986, 17th hole, Jack Nicholas, the bear is out of hibernation. That, that, that was one of the greatest back nines in Masters history for a 46, I think, 46-year-old Jack Nicholas to, to win the Masters um, was incredible. Tiger Woods chipping in on um, 16 and the ball rolling up the hill on the path three and then rolling back down in there and the swoosh on the Nike ball turning in there, you know, just a, just a, a manufacturer's dream. And, you know, have you ever seen an ex like that in your life, the caller calling? Uh, yeah, there's so many. Because the back nine of the Masters is, is, is pure theatre. That's what it is. It's um, for me. It's 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 it, the same kind of time of the year for me. It's the Oscars of golf. No, I totally agree. What were you doing out of interest when Adam Scott won? I was here in the UK. I was here in the UK. And I just just watched it. I was actually working the next week after most. I don't I forget where. But um, yeah, yeah. We, we we wanted it so bad. We're always going to win the Masters. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, but when it seemed to be a, um, a jinx on Australian golf, for, for, yeah, we won Opens, won all the others, but um, you know, never never won the green jacket. Norman had so many opportunities to win the Masters, and no one can say bar one that he he was unlucky. He was unlucky when Larry Mice chipped in on eleven uh, in that playoff from no man's land. But that shot should have gone in the water, shouldn't it, really? Well, yeah, but it didn't. It went in the hole, didn't it? Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's you talk about these things. and um, But, you know, he pushed the four iron and Nicholas and he, he did all sorts. Of, and then Faldo, the, Faldo played so well. Actually, Faldo didn't have to play so well, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Faldo just played norm normally and hit the greens and, and made um, Norman cry. Really, and it was he should have won that six in front with a round to go. Well, funny things can happen on that back nine, as you mentioned. So, in that spirit, let's talk about some of your favorite holes on the back nine. Yeah, I like them all. The whole the back nine, I love the two par fives on the back nine. Um, they 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 are very similar holes, they're dog legs from right to left, and um, they both drive it. And, and for the long hitters, driving four irons, maybe a hybrid for the shortish hitter, like a Webb Simpson, it'll be a hybrid in there to hold the greens. And the greens don't really tilt from back to front, they're quite flat. So if the ball comes in flat, you can hit over the back. 16's obviously just an incredible hole, um, the par three. Uh, traditionally, they put the flag uh, up there on the top ledge on the right on Saturday and then Sunday they put it down the bottom and people like to use the slope bailout and spin it down towards the hole. I think that's just incredible. And 18, so it's just such a huge elevation change up there. Um, so many things can happen. Look, the whole lot of them, 17, they give you a chance if you find the fairway. Fairway cameras from left to right, dog leg from right to left. So um, you've got a chance of making a birdie. Look, anything can happen. At the, on the back nine um, at Augusta on Sunday. It's as simple as that. And that's why we love it so much. Okay, so Rayla, where do you stand on this? We talk about this quite a lot in the office and I'm derided for my position. I think the flag on 16 should be back right on Sunday. I think it's too easy back left so you can use the slope. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I'd be all for it. You could go alternate years, alternate years. I mean, you could, you could do that, but... Look, I think we're all used to 
someone coming from three back and they're all swinging around so much. If you've got a flag over there on the right-hand side on Sunday, you're kind of giving the leader a, a more of an advantage to, to protect himself because par is a good score where everyone's got an opportunity to make themselves a two, uh, like Danny Willett's I did and you know, these, these sort of things. Uh, Danny Willett did, didn't he, on Sunday? He made himself about a five-footer. Was that for birdie? About, no, about, yeah, no, it was, yeah. Birdie. Yeah, it, it was. was yeah, it was under the hole. So there's so many things can happen when it's down the bottom. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I like it down there on the left. I like to see birdies on Sunday at Augusta. That's just me. Oh, I just think there are so many birdies on that back nine or birdie opportunities on that back nine anyway that, that it should be moved. But hey-ho, everyone seems to disagree with me, so we'll, we'll swiftly move oh, on. I understand what you're saying. Um, a feature, obviously, of the back nine at Augusta on a Sunday is is roars, you know, rippling through the trees and everyone knows what's going on because of the different pitches of the roars, etc. There's obviously going to be no crowds this year. How do you think that will impact things? You know, play, watching and, and, and being out there working so far on the European tour, everyone seemed to become um, used to the fact that there aren't any crowds and people are just getting on with it. Um, that's the way it is. And this is the way we have to play. I think we've already had two majors this year, being the US Open, the US PGA, and now the Masters. Sure, it'll be very different. For a guy who has never played the Masters before this year, he is in a distinct advantage. Um, because of the ambiance usually being so raucous uh, and it's not going to be this year. So he might enjoy it like a um, Morikawa at the PGA. I mean, so there's so many ways you can look at it, but the big boys, I think, will prevail and, and this time around. And I think um, uh, it's going to be interesting, but let's all just take it for what it is right now. We're lucky to have golf on our screens. Absolutely. So let's move on to some of the favourites and contenders then. When you say big hitting and good putting, the first person that comes to my mind is John Rahm. Who do you fancy to do well? Uh, well, my, my num I'll get to my one, number one pick later. But, but yeah, John Rahm, absolutely. Um, I, I, I think Justin uh, Thomas has got a good chance. Look, I think um, Bryson, just DeChambeau, it, it, if he comes out, he's taken a month off for a reason. And if he's coming out with his 48-inch driver and he's hitting it as far as he says he's hitting it, well, good luck, everyone else. Because, he's, you know, it's going to be unbelievable if, if it happens. He could make a mockery of it. The thing about Bryson as well, though, that people aren't giving too much credence to because everyone's understandably focus, focusing on his gargantuan hitting is the fact that his putting has been really good. I mean, he's led certain events and strokes gained putting for four days. So if you marry that up with his big hitting, it's it's quite difficult to see past him. It's absolutely lethal. It could be um, a joke, really. If he, if he is hitting at 400 yards or 380 yards, as, as everyone's saying, as he's been telling everyone, well, I don't know what they're going to do about it. I honestly don't know what you're going to do about it. The only issue is on the back nine with the two part fives, you have to bend it from right to left. No, I think we did an interview in the magazine with Bryson, and I think he's just going to take it straight over the trees and put it in the 14th fairway. Is that what he's going to do? Apparently so. And he's going to drive the third green. You would think he's got enough to get there. Yeah. Oh. Every, every par four is, is driving a wedge for him now. He has a plan, 
And that's the way it is. And I, I, I hope, look, you know, I, I hope he goes out and blitzes it. I hope he goes out and absolutely annihilates, annihilates it and wins by 10 shots because then the powers that be might, it might get their attention and go, we need to do something because they don't seem to be doing anything. Well, in their defence, there's not loads they can do to, to counteract that without a sweeping change. And obviously, well, this this is a discussion for another time. We've talked yeah, about this before. Make the ball bigger a little bit. We did it years ago. But anyway, but my pick for the Masters is Bubba Watson. Okay, interesting. So a bit under the radar at the moment, but signs of life recently and obviously a two-time champion. Yeah, yeah. Signs of life and seems to be putting well and loves Augusta's greens when they are rapid. And I feel as though the way he bends it and um, shapes it, I've just got a feeling about Bubba. Look, I've been wrong before many times, as everyone knows, but um, I've just uh, a lazy five quid on him. Well, Radar, you've convinced me to put some money on him. I think that makes a lot of sense. But but what about someone like a McElroy? How do we see him going? Oh, yeah. Well, how many years have we been saying this? about <laughs> How do we see him winning the Masters? Look, well, let's hope he does to become one of six or seven players to win the career to Grand Slam. Uh, you know, but is there so much pressure on him that, um, you know, it's going to hinder him? And, and are these boys all trying to hit it harder now that, that because Bryson is? They are, they are. But is there, what I'd say is, is there not less pressure on McElroy now because there's no crowds and it's in November and he doesn't have that massive lead up? There's no massive gap between. The, the Open and the Masters, where everyone's talking about it, he's kind of slipped under the radar a little bit because of the November start date. I might, you know, you might totally disagree with me, but I, I suspect there's less pressure on him this time around. I think he has slipped under it. Um, yes, I do. But I think when you're going for the career grand slam to join Woods, Nicholas, all the greats of our game, um, there's pressure within itself. I mean, that's just, he surpasses, then he, he becomes. Um, you know, the UK's best golfer. Faldo holds that mantle, even though Rory will go to five majors. If he wins if he wins the four majors, all of them, he becomes a better player than Nick Faldo. He becomes mm. a, a bigger, and people might disagree with that, but it's fact. I mean, he has won all four of them. Faldo won the Open and the Masters. So did Seve. They didn't win the US PGA or the US Open. Rory will win all four of them. That makes him a, um, well, as we wrote in the column not long ago, Nick, um, an immortal. Is he going to don the green jacket? I mean, in November this time no, around. I don't think this year. No. Look, I hope I'm wrong. I love Rory McIlroy. He's a very, he's a friend of mine. He's a, he's a nice bloke, but no, not, not, not right now. Unless, and I hope he does, but I, I just don't think, he can turn it around um, that fast um, where we're seeing no – we're seeing – and we can look at his scores right now, Nick, and we can see he's running 10th, he's running 11th, all that. But he's coming from 35th or 40th in the field each weekend to do that. Mm. He seems to be more comfortable when he's out of it at the moment. But look what happened last time he was in contention. He was in the final group on Sunday with Patrick Reed. He, he played poorly, didn't he, and really fell away. He's, had, he's done that a few times around there. And, and, and there really is there's some scar tissue around there, isn't there? 
you know, down 10 over there in the house or whatever it was. And he's had all sorts of things happen to him. We'd all love to see it, all love to see it. But whether it's this year, I doubt it. I doubt it. But um, I hope I'm wrong. How do you see Tiger Woods getting on? Um, no, last year I picked Tiger Woods. Uh, I was at a dinner in Sydney, actually, uh, last year uh, when the Masters was on. And they all asked me, and, and there was 300 people there. And when I said Tiger Woods, they all laughed, a whole lot of them, the 300 of them. But there were three guys that went and had a huge bet on Tiger Woods, and I got emails, and, you know, it was, it was, it was brilliant in the end. But I just felt as though Tiger was trending in the right um, direction, and I watched him play at the players. Uh, last year, but no, I'm not seeing anything. I don't think he's played anywhere. I think he's played nine events, if I'm not correct so far, going into the Masters, and I don't see him. Um, no, I, I just can't see it whatsoever. Oh, I'm the same. I don't. I don't think the November start date helps him. I think he's not played enough golf. I think he's too rusty, and so many other of the world's best players cold. are in good form. Cold. So he doesn't seem to be able to turn when it's cold. Hmm. Exactly. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, so we've done all we can now. All that remains is to sit and watch it, and I can't wait, and I'm sure you can't either. So, Wayne, thanks for your time, and I look forward to catching up with you during the tournament. Thank you. Nick. Cheers, Radar. So there you go. There was Wayne Radar Riley talking to uh, Golf Monthly's very own Nick Bonfield. Nick, that was a, that was a great uh, little bit of insight there. I really like his his choice of Bubba as well and saying how how much of an opportunity he's got and he thinks he's got this year. Yeah, I mean, I think Bob is someone who's quietly been coming back into some form. Obviously, he's won two Masters titles before. And what I thought was really interesting about that interview is Radar saying that he thinks the Greens are going to be really fast this year, potentially faster than they have been in the last couple of years. And that will suit Bob as well, because he's someone who putts really well on, on quite fast Greens. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's great insight. And Nick, give it give the guys a little bit of an insight of, you know, you've you've worked with Radar, uh, helping produce his column for for the magazine for for quite a while now. What what's he what's he like? He's a brilliant character. He comes across exactly as he does on TV. He's got one of those infectious personalities. He's still so enthusiastic about the game, despite having been around it for so long. He genuinely loves golf, loves everything to do with it, and he genuinely gets excited for the big tournaments. And I think everyone can relate to that as golf fans. You know, we. We see these people on TV sometimes and think they're different to us, but no, they're actually not fundamentally at their very core. They're just huge golf fans. And it's it's really great to talk to someone who's been around the game for so long, but someone who still gets so excited for the big tournaments and he, he can't wait for Thursday to roll around. Yeah, that's great to hear. And he, he's obviously very, very popular with our readers as well, isn't he? He's, I mean, he's, I think he must be one of the longest running columns that we've had uh, in recent times. So there's a, a, a big reason for that is that he, he likes to speak his mind and he's got great insight, hasn't he, in the game. Um, so talking of great insight, we've had uh, the, the pick from Radar. And now I want to know who you guys fancy to do well this week. Ellie, I'm going to start with you. Can you give me one name of someone who you think is going to do well at Augusta this mm. week? Okay, right. So I'm going to go for a complete player, not just a great ball striker like a Dustin Johnson or a Roy McIlroy who occasionally don't hold as many putts as they should. So my two picks will be John Rahm, best player in the world, hands down, no weaknesses, exceptional short game, and he's definitely due a major championship. And for an outsider pick, I'm going to go for Lee Westwood. 
I think his putting has been really promising over the last few years. He's had some massive wins on the Rolex series. He's made some lifestyle changes. So, yeah, I, I think they are two quite good picks. Obviously, Westwood will be a uh, an each-way bet, but I'll go for Ram to win. Yeah, that, that, I think they're great picks, Elliot. So, just looking at the odds that you can get for those people, John Ram, obviously one of the, the favourites. You can get him around 10 or 11 to 1. Uh, but Westwood, obviously, he's a little bit longer. You can get him, uh, well, for triple figures, you can get him around 100 to 1. But I, I, I like both those picks. And I think, um, you know, Ram sometimes doesn't get talks as much as some of the other guys. But he's definitely got the game to do it. We've said before whether he can actually get over the line. And he won't know until he's actually done that. But um, he's obviously is playing fantastic golf at the moment. Nick, moving over to you. Who do you like the look of this week? To me, it's got John Rahm written all over it. He's a, a great putter, especially on fast greens. He's long off the tee. And it just feels like it's time, doesn't it? I mean, he's, he's contended in majors before. He's done well at Augusta before. He's a world-class player. You could argue he's the best player in the world. He needs to get over the line in a major. And it just feels to me like this is going to be his week. Um, but I don't want to just talk about him because Elliot mentioned him. So I'll bring up Patrick Cantlay again in good form. Nice right-to-left ball flight, quality player. And then in terms of an outsider, I quite like Lee Westwood's compatriot, Paul Casey. Uh, now, it might surprise you that I'm mentioning Casey, but he did really well at the PGA in front of no fans, finishing second there, and didn't stumble at all coming down the stretch. It was just brilliant play from Morikawa. Um, three top sixes at Augusta over the last four or five years, I believe. Really good ball striker, experience, course knowledge, all those factors. And obviously the crowds is a factor. So... I'd love to see Paul Casey do it, so hopefully it's his time. That, like that, you say that we might be surprised that you're picking Paul Casey because you have said in the past, Nick, that you think that Paul Casey is not really a winner. He's always a top five or top ten machine, but he rarely gets the job done. So, well, you, you think he's he's kind of changed recently? I know he, he won not that long ago, did he? Well, I just I was really impressed with how he played on Sunday at the PGA. You know, he made a lot of birdies coming down the stretch. He didn't falter at all. His clutch putt, his, his, his pressure putting was really good. He only dropped one shot on that back line and made a few birdies. And it was just Morikawa making that eagle on the, what was it, 16th hole that really put distance between him and Casey. But Casey was right in there and he wasn't backing down. And I do think he's a player that will benefit from the lack of crowds because I do feel that sometimes he feels the pressure possibly more than some. I mean, his major record would point to that. Um, but he's done really well, Augusta, in the past, and he impressed me at the PGA, so who knows? Great stuff. So, moving on to mine, I've got two as well, two names I think we should mention. The first is going to be Patrick Reed. So, obviously, the 2018 uh, Masters champ, he is in really decent form. Last four events, he's finished 7th, 13th, 3rd, and 14th. Um, he's won of course, already this year as well at the WGC Mexico uh, Championship. And he is someone else who I think will benefit from there being no crowds. Usually, he's, he's never the most popular people anyway at tournaments. Um, and I think this year, he's not going to have any comments. He's not going to care who's clapping for him and who's not clapping for him. He can just get on with his job. Uh, and I think he's, you know, he's obviously won there as well already he, and in decent form. So I think he's a decent shout. You can get him at 30 to 1. And also someone else who you can get around those odds as well is Till Hatton, who I think is pretty much playing 
as good a golf as anybody else in the world at the moment. He's playing very, very, very solid. I know there is that, that top five in the world who are playing very strong, but Hassan is just outside that group, in my opinion, at the moment. Uh, he's He's been winning events. He's been finishing top five. I think he's very solid, exceptional putter as well. And has obviously done well at Augusta as well in the past. So I think Hatton has also got a good chance to do well this week. Now, the golf betting tips on the Golf Monthly website, as ever for a Masters week, uh, are going to be very conclusive. And we're going to be updating the betting tips every single day after the rounds. So, uh, and of course, that starts with the betting tips pre-tournament. And they're going live on the site today, which is Monday. So uh, do check them out. Do follow us. Do let us know what you think of the tips. There's also some other articles around the favourites and outsiders that we've done as well. So do have a good look at the website and hopefully we can pick you a winner. And come Sunday, you'll be getting the cash in. <laughs> Elliot, what is the one bet I always bet on at the Masters? Uh, it is 100 quid on the hole in one. Are you going for that again? I, I, I find it hard not to do that bet. It's usually not... The odds seem to have dropped in recent years because there has always been a hole-in-one in the last few years. So I'm probably due... It's probably, I'm, I am a little bit worried this year because we don't know what the course is going to play like. We don't know how the greens are going to be. Are they going to be as quick as they usually are? We think they are, but we don't know until we actually see it. But it's one of my favourite bets because it's a bet that I could win on Thursday at 1pm and I could also win it Late on on Sunday when the when the leaders are, are doing it, and the last couple of years there hasn't been a hole in one until the uh, the sixteenth hole where there's been a couple on the final day. So it's always my favourite bet. You don't have to put hundred quid on it. You could put a five on it. You could put twenty p on it. You could do whatever you want. But that's the bet I'll be doing. So um, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully if there's a hole in one, you'll you'll be understand. I'll be jumping around my sitting room, high fiving myself probably. So. Um, it's a, Yeah, that's always a good one. So the last few bits and pieces that we need to tidy up, there's a couple of things that we want to chat about, of course, about this year, which is going to be slightly different to normal Masters events. First one, there's no par three contest, is there, Elliot? No, thank God. Uh, that very silly curtain raiser featuring children and wags that uh, is not the best way to prepare for the biggest tournament of the year. So... Yeah, it's going to be good that the players are going to get a full preparation this year and play proper golf on the Wednesday. I must say I'm a little bit bored with the par three contest, seeing Jack Nicholas and Gary Player going round. Yeah, so it should be very different this year. You, you are so negative sometimes. In this <laughs> life. I mean, uh, Nick, I, I actually quite like the par three as a curtain raiser because the par three course is, is incredible. It's spectacular. It's a beautiful place. And I just like to see it. We have seen some drama there as well in the last few years. Of course, Tony Fina dislocating his ankle and still managing to get back up and finishing top 10 in the event. I quite like the par three tournament and seeing the older guys playing still. Nicky, Nick, what do you think? Oh, I'm totally done with the par three contest. I haven't watched it for years. I find it just contrived. and I don't need to see an 85-year-old Gary Player hitting a pitching wedge. I'm fine with that. But I also acknowledge that certain people enjoy it. So, you know, good for you if you're in that camp. Well, not good for you this year because you won't be able to enjoy it, but ho- hopefully in April. But no, I'm completely done with it. And as Elliot said, I don't think it's a great way to prepare. I mean, I suppose you could argue that mentally it helps to switch off a bit and that might be beneficial. But no, I, I'm, I'm done with it, I'm afraid. Oh, we're not going to hear about that stupid curse that no par three contest winners ever won the Masters. 
that, that's exactly what I was just going to say there. That I think that is the thing which is the worst thing for the par three because a lot of the good players don't play it because they think it is a curse. And if you win the par three, then you can't win the, the whole event. As soon as someone settles that and gets gets rid of that, the better, in my opinion. But I'm completely the other side of the coin from you two. I quite like the par three. I like seeing, you know, I'd rather. I like seeing Jack Nicholas still playing, Gary Player still playing. I think it's fine. I, I quite enjoy it. And also, I, I remember Danny Willett and Lee Westwood being interviewed at the Par 3 tournament the day, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the Wednesday before Willett went on to win. And they got some really good insight into that and into their mind frame about how the, how they were going to play from that. So um, I, I don't mind it as much as, uh, as you two appear to. Um, the other thing we need to say is that there is a difference with the tee times as well this year because... It's obviously been played in November. There is shorter days. So for the first two rounds, there's going to be a 2 T start time. And the weekends, especially on Sunday, they're going to have earlier tea times. Now, Nick, you're a huge NFL fan. They've kind of tried to do this just so it doesn't mix over and clash with the NFL. And it means that they're actually going to be probably be playing at the same time as Tiger did last year when they had to bring the tea times forward because of a storm. Is, is it gonna? Is it still okay to do it that early, or is it a bit of a shame that we're going to be not watching it late on on a Sunday night? So, sorry, what time is it expected to conclude? I think it's going to be finishing at approximately seven thirty our time on Sunday. Is that correct, Elliot? Yeah, that's correct. I'll just butt in. I think this is a bit silly as a UK fan that doesn't really follow NFL. Imagine the Open Championship starting early because it's Man United against Liverpool in the evening or something. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a weird one for me. And I think it's sad that golf always bows down to the, the NFL, especially in the States. I, I think that's a, that's a fair point, Elliot. But I think the thing which you're missing there is it's not that it's the clash of the sports. It's the, it's the clash of the TV times. And what they want to do is they want to make sure that they get the biggest audience possible watching and enjoying the golf. And the way to do that is to take it away from the other sports. We've already seen this year since the NFL has started that actually the TV ratings have actually dropped on golf. I think for the US Open, I think I'm correct in saying that when Bryson won the US Open, it was had the, the lowest viewing figures that it ever had, I think, in 25 years. That's because it wasn't being played in June when there isn't any NFL. It was being played in September, right at the start of the NFL season, where it's very, very popular because everyone's team has a chance of doing well. And the TV audience just isn't there. So I don't think it's because of the clash of the sports. It's just the clash of the TV. And they want to try and get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Um, we still, I think, we will have a slightly later finish on the Saturday night, which is always usually my favourite time to watch it because you can have a few beers and enjoy it, obviously alone in your house. Um, Nick, what's your favourite part of viewing the Masters? Favourite part of viewing the Masters? That's a great question. You've got to say when there's kind of eight to ten people still in contention on the back nine on Sunday, and the one that really sticks in my mind is, is 2011, when you had Woods was there, you had Bovan Powell eagling 13 and 15, I think there were about 10 people in genuine contention coming down the stretch on Sunday. And when all the stars align and you get a tournament with a finish like that, Augusta is just the perfect place for it. And I really hope that happens this year. And I can absolutely see it happening this year. Uh, it is a shame that it's finishing early because I do prefer it when it's really, well, it will be dark outside. 
I do prefer it when it goes on towards midnight and the tension really builds throughout the course of the evening. But unfortunately, there are commercial factors in play here, Elliot. And at the NFL, the reality is it's just far more popular than golf in the States. Um, so that's why they've done it. But I would say, yeah, a congested leaderboard on Master Sunday, I think in terms of all the sports, that would be right up there in terms of the most enjoyable, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, I think last year was really kind of similar to that. There was a lot of players in contention right to the end. I know Tiger, no one seemed to be able to get to Tiger when Tiger hit the leaderboard and he managed to stay up there as well, didn't he? But there was at least four, like the Cook was there, DJ, um, was Cantley was up there, wasn't he, last year? He was. Yeah, Molinari, of course, as well. So it was a really good, strong leaderboard. And we've seen that many times. You know, he's... Is dramatic. You think when Spieth blew up and Danny Willett won, that was that was very dramatic. Where suddenly we thought it was going to be quite a boring end back nine, but suddenly one bad shot, or actually followed by another bad shot, completely changed it around, and suddenly we had a surprise winner. So, um, I, I mean, it's, it is fantastic watching Sunday the back nine. And you know all the holes as well. We all know them so well. We've all seen it so many times. We know where the chances are and where the dangers are. So it's it's great. Eddie, what's your your favourite bit of watching the Masters? Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, what you're saying, where there's there's loads of people in contention. But on the other hand, uh, probably my favourite Masters was 2017, where it was Rose against Sergio, basically match play on that back nine. I thought that was gripping. It was memorable. It was just an amazing finish. Obviously, Rose is English, but I think the whole of the world wanted Sergio to win just because we knew how good he was and we knew that it was his time after something like 75 majors played rose took it really well i thought yeah it was just a wonderful match play back nine and um definitely sticks in my memory as one of my favorites yeah that, that was a that was a fantastic masters wasn't it nick you're obviously a big justin rose fan so i think you were cheering on mr rose weren't you yeah i think i was the only i was actually out at augusta as well I think I was the only person in the media centre who was rooting for Rose. <laughs> and by the sound of things, the only person in the world. But no, I was happy. It's one of those situations where I would have been happy with either winner. Uh, you, you can't dispute that Sergio deserved to win a major championship. And you have to be happy for him, given how good he is and what he's meant to European golf over the years. I just happened to be a massive Justin Rose fan. So I wanted him to come out on top. But still, as I say, I wasn't unhappy about the result. No, that, that, I think that's right. I think the thing is, with, with that, Rose had obviously already won a major. I know it wasn't the Masters, but Rose had had obviously won a US Open where Sergio had never managed to get it. I think that had a big, a big impact as well. And the last thing I want to say, obviously, obviously we're we're in in the UK, but you guys, whoever's listening, you may be in the States or wherever you are. But the UK has got a big thing happening for the first time with the Masters this year, and that is that there is no live coverage of the Masters, not only on the BBC, but actually on the terrestrial TV either. So. If anyone wants to watch the Masters this year in the UK, they're going to have to pay for it. Now, I, I'm, of course, dead against this, as, as is well known. In recent years, it's, the coverage has been shared and it's been uh, simultaneously broadcast live on Sky Sports and the BBC. But this year, first time that it won't be on the BBC. I think this is a great shame. And we've said already about people wanting to watch sport, wanting to watch golf, wanting to see... Augusta as well. I think it's a real shame that this year a lot of people won't be able to watch it because they don't have access to pay per, per, pay per view TV. Nick, your thoughts? Um, 
as is often the case, uh, the case, my thoughts are diametrically opposed to your thoughts. Uh, I don't want to bore, bore listeners with this argument again. I, I just think that the Sky does a far superior job, deserves it. We shouldn't be rewarding mediocrity, which is what the BBC has been delivering for the last few years. And I also think it's very easy for people to watch on Sky via the, the now TV packages, which I feel are reasonably priced as well. So I don't have a problem with it at all. Having said that, I do take some of your points and do understand why people might have a gripe with it. But as far as I'm concerned, Sky deserve it. Sky do a better job. Sky should get it, and I have no qualms with that whatsoever. Elliot, your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's tragic. I think this is the the one event, well, the one golf event that my mum will, will watch. It's the one event that people at home will watch that don't love golf that just stumble on, on it on the telly. I think last year Tiger Woods won the Masters live on the BBC. That's just phenomenal. And now the audience is probably going to be 80% smaller. It's literally that big how how much difference terrestrial TV makes to watching events like this. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a real shame. I really hope that the Masters and the Open Championship as well gets back in that Tier 1 category that the government make to, to ensure that sports like this are shown free-to-air to everybody. So... Yeah, it's, uh, it's a huge shame. I think we're going to lose out on an awful lot of people watching golf. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think that's where I, I come from, actually. I think that's a really good point about it's kind of it's kind of event where someone who's maybe not even a sports fan will watch it because it's Augusta. It's beautiful to watch. There's a bit of drama. You know some of the players. It's, I think there's so many casual viewers which we're going to miss out on. I think it is a, just a huge shame. I do think the same as you, that um, I hope that it gets looked at again. Whether it will, I don't know. Usually when these things get lost, they never go back. But um, I, th- I think it is a, is a huge shame. And we'll see what the, what the TV ratings they're going to look like, but they're going to be much lower th- than last year. But that does mean I think there's going to be a lot of people searching for some great golf content to view during the week. And there is no better place to, to look than the Golf Monthly website, golf-monthly.co.uk, or the Golf Monthly social media channels at Golf Monthly on Twitter and Instagram and Golf Monthly magazine on Facebook. Guys, it's been great chatting. I think we've had enough of talking now. We should let Augusta do the talking, let the players do the talking uh, when they clear up on Thursday. I'm very, very excited. Thanks very much for your time, Nick and Elliot. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thanks for listening, everybody out there. As ever, as I said, do keep uh, in touch. And we will talk again next week when we find out who is the 2020 Masters Champion. Until then, see you later.